Hello, friends. It is good to be back here with you today in this little space and these little boxes um, in different spaces, but still together. Uh, and so I'm happy to be here with you. I'm happy to see you today. We are now in our third week of the Good and Beautiful Life series. And I'm sure you realize by now that the second book in the Good and Beautiful series is really all about life transformation, right? So we started with um, understanding and having a right view of God because that is the essential foundation that we need to build transformation upon. But um, it's exciting to start digging into and really looking at some of the ways in which God really wants to transform us into people that live full, uh, joyful lives in his kingdom. So we're in chapter three already. I hope you are reading along, uh, even though we aren't doing um, the conversations midweek. Um, I would always be thrilled to talk to you as you are reading the chapter and doing these practices. If you want to grab coffee sometime or find another time, let's talk because I would love to hear how these things are hitting you and what's challenging you and what, um, yeah, how things are sitting with you. Uh, if you remember the last time that we met on Zoom when we were here last, JR talked about um, the soul training exercise of writing a letter to God. And I hope many of you decided to do that. I hope maybe Sunday afternoon or sometime later that week you did that exercise. And I'm curious to hear how that went for you. Um, if that's something you want to share or just talk about the experience, again, I'd love to hear about that. I'm super curious about it. So to go back to the introduction of the book we're doing now, The Good and Beautiful Life, um, some you know, there's a really important foundation there. And that's the question is, who is living a good life, right? What is a good life? What is, how is that defined, right? What are we to strive for? What is a good life? Who and who is living a good life? Well, today's passage specifically talks about this and the importance and uh, in, in thinking about the availability of the unshakable kingdom of God, right? So this was also part of our topic last week. Um, as you guys uh, heard from a guest preacher, and also we're reading chapter two on the gospel of the kingdom of God. And we were so sorry to miss worshiping with you last Sunday, um, but really hope you enjoyed hearing from Darren Nisley. Um, he is a great friend and we got to listen to the recording and I really enjoyed um, his perspective. And I hope you did too, if you were there. If not, you can listen to the recording too. It's out there. Uh, I hope you had a chance, if you were there, to talk to him more about Lighthouse Ministries and ask questions about that. But good news, if you didn't get a chance to, and maybe it's still been on your heart and on your mind, uh, that's not a problem because J.R. Roscoe, who happens to be my co-pastor and husband, uh, is the chairman of the board of Lighthouse Ministries. And so you could ask him any questions and he would be happy to connect you. Also, Darren is at the One Center pretty much weekly. And so you could catch him there sometime if you wanted to talk more and hear more about that ministry. So as I was listening to his sermon this week, I noticed that one exercise he had you do Maybe you'll remember this if you were there. He said, you know, pause and think about the top five sermons that have changed your life. Do you remember that? So he seemed to think that you would have a hard time doing that. Hmm. Well, I'm sure many of you told him afterwards that the only real problem for you as members of First Church of the Resurrection was listing only five, right? I kid, I kid. Uh, I completely agree with Darren, right? That, that relationships have far more power to bring, bring transformation than any 15 or 30 minute talk, depending on who's doing it. Uh, no, matter, no matter how eloquent or persuasive that, that talk might be, um, it's in relationship that we really, you know, have transformation, right? And so 
there is a lot that is not ideal about meeting in this format, and I will be the first to admit that. But one thing I really have appreciated, and I want to thank you, uh, those of you that have engaged in this once or every time, but the, the vulnerability um, in being present in this space and conversing and um, connecting with one another and, and seeing some of you connect and have conversations who don't normally maybe live near each other or have opportunity to have your lives connect has been really encouraging to me as your pastor. And, you know, this format is going away soon. This is really not something that's a long-term thing, right? We're, we're going to be done with Zoom soon. But I really am desirous that we would be creative as a community and find ways to deepen our connections with one another, um, not just those we've always been close to, but but to everyone, right? How do we do that as a community? I don't have the answer, but that's something I think we need to keep thinking about. Uh, like Darren said, and if you want to listen again, this was at minute 32. I wrote it down because I paused it to write this down. He said, the question, one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is how do we foster an environment where we can get close enough to each other that it transforms who we are? That was a good quote right? How do we foster an environment where we can get close enough to each other that it transforms who we are? That's a great question. And I'm so thankful that Darren was here and challenged us with that and other things. So part of me wants to just turn off the camera right now and spend the rest of our time, you know, being together and, and talking and uh, connecting with one another. But prior to Darren's message, I had already prepared a, a bit of a sermon for you today. And so I am going to continue, but I will do my best to leave ample time for discussion uh, at the end, okay? So this is not just any sermon, but this is a sermon about a sermon. Uh, if we really were asked, you know, name the best sermon you've ever heard or the one that's impacted you the most, well, I hope you would say the Sermon on the Mount, right? Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is the, is the is the best sermon recorded in human history, right? This is Jesus's uh, teaching. It is like the longest sermon of his that we have record of. And, um, you know, it's kind of hard to beat a sermon by Jesus himself, right? Uh, and so uh, the Beatitudes, which are what we started with today, um, are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And much of the stuff that we will be covering over the next several weeks comes from also comes from the Sermon on the Mount. So we'll be digging into this uh, more in the coming weeks. But today's passage, we read from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's version of the Sermon on the Mount. And these Beatitudes um, are the introduction, right? And so, um, yeah, as we step into this, I think often when I think of the Beatitudes, I think of, you know, these beautiful words maybe superimposed over a photograph of a beautiful mountain scene or maybe beautifully embroidered, right, on a wall hanging, a decorative wall hanging. But our familiarity can maybe lead us to realize or, or, or think um, that and think that this is something really not as earth-shattering as it really was. We can forget that Jesus was saying some things that were completely radical in his day. Jesus was challenging some long-held assumptions about the kingdom of God and what that was. Many have so often heard the Beatitudes you know, we've heard them so many times, right, if we've been in the church, but they, that they no longer surprise or enlighten us. But for those first listeners, the words of Jesus must have hit them like a proverbial ton of bricks. They would have been shocked when they heard these words. You see, Jews had a concept of the kingdom of God, and they thought they had it figured out. Um, they thought they knew what it was all about. And they assumed incorrectly that the kingdom of God was only for a certain set of people. Uh, they assumed incorrectly, that the kingdom of God was only for God's chosen people, the Jews, right? 
They assumed incorrectly that the kingdom of God was only for men. In the temple system, if you look at a map of the temple, or maybe your Bible is a diagram of that, or read about it in scripture, you'll see that there were separate um, courtyards in the temple, outer courtyards for women and for foreigners, but only Jewish men were allowed into the holiest places, right? So they assumed, naturally, that this meant that they, as Jewish men, had special access to the kingdom of God not available to others who were further away. They also assumed incorrectly that the kingdom of God was only for those who were morally and ritually pure, those without disease or defect, and those who followed all the rules of purification. They assumed incorrectly that the kingdom of God was only for those who were well off, believing that material blessings were evidence of spiritual blessings. And so Jesus takes these common commonly held assumptions, uh, and turns them on their head. So as he looks at the crowd and begins his sermon, the first thing he has to tell the people is, you know, you don't know what you think you know. You don't know what you think you know. You have made false assumptions about what the Father is like and what the kingdom of God is like. The Beatitudes are invitations of inclusion. Jesus starts out this epic sermon by saying that this invitation, come and listen, uh, all, all are invited to come and listen. Come and listen all who would hear, right? Not just because of your ethnic ancestry, not because of your gender, not because of your economic status. All who would hear, come and listen. Men and women, diseased and healthy, rich and poor, Jew and foreigner. Jesus gives word of hope and healing to the marginalized. A key point I don't want us to miss is that, you know, probably as we've heard these words before of Jesus, maybe we've come to them with our own wrong assumptions. Maybe it doesn't was, wasn't just the first hearers, but maybe we've done the same thing. Many of us easily can fall into the trap of trying to earn God's favor. Or am I the only one? Am I the only one? Uh, and so what that looks like, you know, for me and maybe for you is that, you know, I hear a list like this that starts with blessed are the. And so I immediately think, okay, I got to write this down. What is what? Tell me what I want to be. I want to be blessed. So tell me what to do. And so we think that this list is meant to be prescriptive, right? A list of what to do to be blessed. Well, that's not it at all. Um, this is not a list of do's and don'ts. Not that we uh, shouldn't endeavor to, you know, pursue some of these things, right? To be merciful or to be peacemakers. But if you look at the whole list, right? They're not all things that we could or even should strive for. You know, those who mourn, uh, those who are persecuted, you know, these are, these are states of being that we often have little control over. Probably much of the trouble in our interpretation starts with the word blessed itself, right? When you hear that someone is blessed, what do you think they mean? What do they mean? It's hard to say, right? Well, um, the word here in the Beatitudes that Jesus uses is uh, makarios. Makarios. And so the best definition of Makarios I could find is that it means truly well off, right? Truly well off are the fill in the blank. And Jesus is turning traditional rabbinic wisdom upside down with these words. Because to those who, to whom the world says, hey, better luck next time, Jesus says, you are truly well off. You are welcome in the kingdom of God. Receive this invitation. Receive me, Jesus says. You don't have to do something or be something to earn your place in the kingdom. You're welcome. 
you are welcome here. And in the kingdom of God, things work differently. In the kingdom of God, even an unblessable condition can be blessed. People who grieve in the kingdom grieve altogether differently than those not in the kingdom. Jesus says, if you know me, if you are with me, then you are blessed. Then you are truly well off and none of the conditions here can diminish that. It's easy to default to a worldly understanding of blessing that thinks of blessings as things that lead to power or prestige or possessions, right? That's what the world thinks of as blessed. Well, nothing mentioned or listed here in the Beatitudes will lead to power, prestige, or possessions. Not, not at all, right? The Beatitudes are invitations to those on the margins who feel far from God. They are words of hope and healing. They are meant to disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed. Which one do you think you are? So near the end of the chapter uh, of the book, not the chapter of Matthew, but the chapter of the book that goes along with this, um, the author gives this challenge that I wrote down. He said, uh, those who are in Christ become living Beatitudes, walking, talking blessings in the world. Those who are in Christ become living Beatitudes, walking, talking blessings to the world. So what does that mean for us? Right? What does that mean for us? So if you are looking at the book um, on 56, there's a little question set off from the text. It says a statement and a question. Okay. So it says, think about a time you felt excluded. What was that like? How does it feel to be on the outside? That's a good question, right? Well, some of us may have to think far back into our memories to think of a time we felt excluded to really get in touch with that. Maybe others of us live in an almost constant state of feeling excluded. That's a challenging place to be, but I know some people feel that way almost all the time, right? I can hardly believe it, but in just a few weeks, I was looking at the calendar today, in just a few weeks, it's going to be August, and we will have three kids heading off to school for the first time. Aiden will be in preschool for the first time. Junia will be in public school for the first time. And Aubrey will be in a new class, one she's been out of for two years. So some familiarity, but going back having missed uh, what's been happening in her class for the past two years. So is it just me, or is there something about sending your kids to school for the first time or into a new school or a new class environment that brings back all the fears and feelings, right? Things that you haven't thought about or processed or touched on for years. Like they just come back. They, they flood back, right? The worst memories of being a child and being left out, being excluded or ostracized or just feeling like you didn't fit in, right? All those memories come flooding back as you prepare to send your kids out to school. Did that happen to the rest of you? Um, yeah, I know that feeling, right? And so if we want, we want to protect our children and ourselves from these kind of experiences, right? And some will go even to great lengths or great costs to do so, right? We'll spend whatever money it takes. We'll put our kids wherever we can to like save them from that experience because it, because we know how hard it is to feel on the outside, to feel excluded. Well, you know, the natural impulse, the impulse of our human nature is, is to do just that, right? It's to work to avoid finding ourselves in the kinds of situations or places where we will feel 
uh, outside, right, or uh, excluded. And so, you know, we ask ourselves naturally, right, our natural question is, how do I create environments where I feel comfortable, where I feel safe? Um, that That's just the natural impulse of who we are. Well, the challenge is that the kingdom impulse is just the opposite, right? The way of Jesus isn't to create spaces where I feel comfortable, but the way of Jesus is to ask, how do I create environments where others will feel comfortable, where others will feel comfortable and not have to go through those feelings of isolation or feeling distant? Jared and I have talked about this before, uh, and I'm, I'm sure it's nothing new to you guys, right? This trend um, of what uh, researchers are calling the nuns and duns, right? People who are um, have never been part of a church, those are the nuns, or people that have left the church, the duns, right? This The people who identify as nuns, again, never having had connection with the church, or duns, those who were in the church but are done with it now, this population of people is bigger than it has ever been in our nation's history. And, you know, most of the people that are surveyed that categorize themselves in this way um, would say, you know, even if I was curious about Jesus or religion, I don't feel the church is a safe and hospitable place for someone like me. And church, that should break our heart, right? And I, I doubt this is something that's purely academic for all of us, right? I am guessing many of you here today, you have a relative or you have a friend who has left this congregation or maybe left another one and has decided that they're done with the church. They're done with, uh, with Jesus, maybe a long time ago, maybe recently. And so God, what is God saying to us about how we might engage these people who are feeling far off from God right now? So the, in the book, you know, as you know, if you've been reading it, is there is a practice each week that we are asked to do to kind of connect us with what we're learning. And so um, the practice this week is on practicing hospitality, specifically practicing hospitality to those who are different from us, learning how to create space for those who would be different from us in some way. Um, well, I, I can read some of it to you maybe as we have our discussion. But as we move into our time of conversation, that's really what I'd love to focus on is I'd love to hear, um, first of all, maybe how God might be calling you to practice hospitality personally to someone who um, feels like that maybe they're far from God. Uh, maybe there's someone who has come to mind as I've been talking and you want to think about how to reach out to them. But also, you know, as a church, um, how do we create a more hospitable atmosphere for those who feel distant from God or unwelcome in our midst. I'd love to brainstorm that um, as a community as well. So let's pray, and we'll go into our time of conversation. Father, we just thank you for your word to us today. We pray that we would be um, doers of the word and not hearers only. Bless our conversation uh, this morning that we may hear from you and honor you uh, in the way that we interact with one another uh, help us to be uh, honest and vulnerable in our time of conversation, Lord, and may your Holy Spirit speak here through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.